St. James, glad that you guys are here, and um, for all of you watching on the live stream, glad that you're with us too. Uh, some quick announcements. Uh, today, um, youth confirmation, 
and uh, adult Bible study at 12.30, 11.30 and 12.30, those are uh, proper times. Tonight at 5 o'clock, as always, Angela and I are going to come up here and pray. Anybody who wants to come and hang out with us and pray for a few minutes uh, for our church and for each other, uh, you're more than welcome to. Um, this Wednesday, we usually have screw tape letter Bible study at 7 o'clock. We are not this Wednesday. Uh, let me tell you why. Uh, so Matt Hainer from CCLS was not able to be here last week. And so what we're going to do is, for anybody who has questions, and for him to tell us kind of where they're at in the process, we're going to uh, meet on Zoom. Where we usually meet on Wednesdays, we're going to meet on Zoom at 7 o'clock this Wednesday night. Now, if you... If you already get the Bible study link to join the Screwtape Letters Bible study, I'm just going to send the Zoom invitation out to that group. If you're not in that group but you want to come to this, then let me know and I'll send you the, the invitation as well. Uh, we're going to vote next Sunday on whether or not to allow them to use the facility. Can I say this real quick? I'm talking to some of you. We are not voting to start a school. It says we are not doing any work at all to start the school. We're voting on whether or not to let CCLS use this building during the week to start the, to start the school. That will be next Sunday after the 10:15 service. Matt will talk to us on Wednesday night, and if you have any questions, um, he'll answer those on Wednesday night. If you can't make that Zoom meeting, but you have questions, if you email those to me, I will make sure that he gets those and so he can discuss them. I'll ask him, in fact, I'll ask him to record that Zoom meeting, so if you can't be there, uh, you can hear what he has to say. So that's this Wednesday night at 7. Let me know if you want the link to that. Unless, like I said, unless you're already in the Zoom Bible study, then you'll just get it automatically. Um, youth group Tuesday night, women's Bible study Saturday morning. I think that's all I have uh, for you as far as announcements go. Uh, let's go ahead and stand, and we will continue in worship. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being a loving God, and we thank you for of the way that you've committed yourself to us in word and sacrament. And that's what we need this morning, God. We need you. We want to think about you. We want to sing praises to you. But, but most of all, we need your presence here with us. We need you to come and give yourself to us powerfully. Father, we want to be your people, and we want you to be our God. We want to live in this covenant with you as your faithful children. And so we pray that you would give us that grace. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's continue in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let's confess our sin to God. O Lord, great God, all holy, Father most gracious, filled with mercy and steadfast love, we are embarrassed to come before you, for we have rebelled against your wisdom and have gotten into trouble. For we have rejected your fatherly guidance and have gotten lost altogether. And therefore we are embarrassed. To you belongs righteousness, O Lord, but to us confusion of face. O Lord, great God, all holy, Father, most gracious, filled with mercy and steadfast love, incline your ear to our troubles. Hear us when we pour out our sorrows before you. Forgive us, not on the ground of our own righteousness, but on the ground of your great mercy, on the ground of your great mercy in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. It is in His name that we pray, for He is our Savior and the mediator of the covenant of grace. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. 
Hear the gospel of Christ from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Please stay standing for the first time. Scarce can take it. 
Psalmist from uh, Psalm 23 today is uh, Good Shepherd Sunday. So to, uh, the psalm for today is Psalm 23. But we're going to start off the first verse I'm going to read is actually from the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, Psalm 23, actually it's about me. I am the Good Shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Acts reading is from Acts chapter 4. As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. 
greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, for being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man had been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 10. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, this is Jesus talking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
epistle reading is from 1 John again. This is um, not right after the text that we finished last week, but in the lectionary it jumps ahead a few verses. Uh, verses 16 through 24 of 1 John 3. John says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm kind of interested to see how this goes this morning. Usually when I um, prepare a sermon, I, I kind of try, you know, what I want to, one of the things I want to make do is that it like, it connects with as many people as possible. There are specific issues. Some of you have like these specific issues that you like to think about and talk about, but maybe it might not be that important to everybody else. And so I, I usually try and steer clear of those, not because they're bad, but because, you know, just try to be as broad as possible. Well, this, one's, this, this uh, text here, this sermon this morning, um, like it's, it's aimed at quite a wide delta. Some of you, what I'm going to talk about, some of you are going to be a little bit triggered by some of this. And some of you are going to be like, I don't know, this is, doesn't seem to be that big of an issue to me. And so I'm really interested to see how this goes. What I want to talk about this morning from this text is um, three things this text can tell us about, th- three reasons this text can give us, three ways that you can know that you're a Christian. Three ways that we can know that we're Christians. Now, like I said, some of you are like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And some of you struggle with this. I talked to some of you for whom this is like an ongoing battle, trying to like figure out like, where am I at in my relationship with God? And so these are three, uh, three ways. They're all different. None of them are exclusive. All of us at one point or another are gonna have to find recourse in one of these three reasons. Some of you from moment to moment, are going to have to go back and check out these three reasons. Um, let, let me, a quick qualifier. This is not three ways that you become a Christian. This is three ways that you know you're a Christian. The way that you become a Christian is super clear. In verse 16, it says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. The way that you become a Christian is Jesus dies for you. That's that. That's, that's, how, you be, that's, that's how you guys are Christians is that Jesus died for you. More on that in just a second. And, and what that means, how that connects with the notion of love. All right. So this is not about how you become a Christian. This is about how, for those of you who are Christians, this is, how the, you, this is how you know you are a Christian. Okay, so let's get into three of these. And first of all, let's start off with this one. Uh, the first way that you know that you're a Christian is because you keep God's commands. Look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. So the first way that you know you're a Christian is if you keep God's commandments. Specifically, if you keep God's command, uh, verse um, 23, that word commandment is in the singular there. 
This is his commandment, which is interesting, though, because now it's going to give you two things. Here's two things that, that make up this commandment. Uh, first of all, we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another. These are the two things. You believe in Jesus' name, and you love one another. In order to be a Christian, belief in the name of Jesus, belief in Jesus Christ is non-negotiable. That's truth. That's the one ultimate truth. Out of, out of Every other part of your life, every other part of my life, every other part of our reality is in flux. Anything that you can put, you know, that you can, there's, there's nothing else that you can hang your hat on and know that it's going to hang there for forever. Even the thing that you think is most solid, whatever that is, and if I start talking about them, it's clear when, when the words come out my mouth that they're not, you know, like your health or your money or whatever. Or even me, I exist. How solid is that for you? How convinced are you that that's unshakable? What about the love of your best friend, the love of your spouse? That, that's, that, that, that's shakable as well. I mean, I, I experienced that in flux. I experienced that. I'm, I mean, Angela always loves me, I believe. I always am loved by Angela, but right now, it's less intense than it would be if I was sitting next to her eating dinner and having a good conversation. It's more intense, though, than if I was somewhere on a trip and she was three or four states away. It's, it's always in flux. Believing in Jesus, the love of Jesus for us, give up his life for us, that's the one solid reality at the center of the universe. All of our other reality, realities have to come in conformity with that. It's non-negotiable. The Bible's super clear about this. In fact, we just uh, read a verse a few, a few minutes ago. What was that verse in the Acts reading? Peter ends up with, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which must be saved. There is salvation in no one else. It's non-negotiable. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, or the, John says in the Gospel of John, nobody's ever seen God except for the only begotten God, so I want Jesus, in the bosom of the Father, he's made him known. Jesus himself says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. You guys know this. First John th uh, 4, if we kept on reading here, the three or four verses after this. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Do you want to know if you have contact with the ultimate reality that is the creator God? Well, do you believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Yes, you're in. Do you, do you believe that Jesus Christ does not come in the flesh? Then you're out. That's not from God. This is non-negotiable. So first of all, believing that when Jesus died and rose from the dead, that that is the heart of the universe. That is your only connection with ultimate reality with God. Second of all, though, is love, right? To love one another. We believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 23 says again, and love one another just as he has commanded us. The Gospel of John is all about this love that we're commanded to have for each other. What is the definition of love? What does it mean to love? Because we all have different definitions of love at the end of the day. We have, all of us have different flavors of love. It depends upon, you know, lots of different kinds of things. The way that you're, you related to your parents when you were growing up, the success or the failure of your marriage, the success or failure you have in making and maintaining friendships, the kind of movies that you like, the kind of songs that you listen to. All these things go into factor how we define love. And all of them are totally fine. Like all, almost all of our definitions of love more or less work on certain levels. But if we're talking about the love at the center of the universe where the death of Jesus Christ is, then the answer is verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. That's what love is, is that the creator of the universe laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for each other, it says at the end of verse 16. That's what love is, to lay down your life to, to give up your life for the sake of the other. Now, 
we didn't read this in our reading, uh, but the, the verses right before this, if, you, if you've got your Bible open and you're looking at it, it's contrasting this, Jesus, with Cain in Genesis chapter 4, the first murder. And the point that John wants to make about Cain, go back there and, and look at it on yourself, for, for yourself, is that Cain is the epitome of hatred. Why? Because Cain sacrifices the life of someone else to benefit himself. Jesus is the epitome of love because he sacrifices his own life to benefit someone else. So this is kind of a spectrum here in the, God, in, in the epistle of John is, so you have sacrificing somebody else's life to satisfy your needs, sacrificing your own life to, satis- to, to, to meet their needs. And these are the two poles, murder and the cross. Now, when John tells us that we should give up our life for the brothers, obviously he doesn't mean in the same sense that Jesus gives up his life for us. Me sacrificing myself for you, even if, even if I die for you, even if I literally took a bullet for you, it wouldn't save your soul. What we're talking about is a spectrum in the middle here, right? Is that it's, we're hardly ever murdering people and only, you only get one chance in your life to die for somebody, literally die for somebody. We're hardly ever doing that. Most of all, we're kind of in the middle of this spectrum where I'm not murdering somebody, but I am taking away from them. I am using their life to benefit my own. It could be their time that I'm stealing for myself. It could be their energy. It could be their affections that I'm trying to, trying to use for my own benefit. Or, not taking a bullet, but I'm giving up my time or my energy or my, my, my affections or my sense of value to increase your somebody else's time, energy, sense of value. It, the question here is, is if, if you're a Christian, A, believe in Jesus. B, are you sacrificing from yourself to benefit others? Or are you a taker? Now, specifically, there's all kinds of like ramifications, there's all kinds of applications for this, but specifically in verse 17, it's about material goods. He says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Okay, so if you're connected to the self-sacrificial love of Jesus by faith, how is it possible for you to look at somebody else, see that they have a need? Here it's material, it could be anything. It could be a time need or a, like emotional need or whatever. And that you have the goods to meet that need and then not do it. A Christian will do that. A Christian will t- take from what they have and sacrifice from what they have to meet that need. So these are the two things. These are the two things. All right. Now, these are both super important. These are both super important. And they stand, what our culture tries to do to these two things, belief in Jesus, ultimate truth, love for the other, is they try to, they try to turn them into opposite poles. They try to turn them into, you, can't, you cannot hold these compatible. Right? So the cultural right says, truth is the most important. Having knowledge is the most important. The LCMS, frankly, falls into this category too often. It's like, what's important is right doctrine. you got to know what's right. You know, let, let, let them take, you know, they, it's your own responsibility to take care of your own physical needs. You know, well, we'll give you some Bible verses, or, you know, maybe we can, you know, point you in the right direction. We know where the, we know where the food pantry's at. Go down there. The cultural left is going to say, truth is all relative. That's not important. What's important is love and compassion. And the Christian church is like the LCMS falls onto the, whichever pole you're looking at, I don't know. Does right and left mean anything to you? This is my left, I don't know. So, um, you know, um, uh, truth is important. 
so it goes back 150 years. Like orthodoxy is important versus the social gospel is important. And what Jesus is saying here is that you're both right. Orthodoxy is super important. Truth is super important. You over here are right. Love is super important. It's at the heart of what it means to be related to Jesus Christ. It's not an either or. It is a both and. It is not, it is not the situation. You know, so, so, so some of us are like, um, some, some, some of us are like, you got to give a man a fish. He's hungry. Some of us are like, no, you got to teach a man to fish. And what Bible, the Bible is saying here is that you have to teach a man to fish and give a man a fish. You have to do both. It is, it is a false, don't, don't fall into the false antithesis. That's, this is what it means to be connected to Jesus, is to be a person who's radically committed to ultimate and absolute truth, also radically committed to a life of self-sacrifice for others. Both of those things have to be the case. Now, that's what it means to be a Christian. Okay, that's the first one. Now we have a problem here, though, and the problem is this. Some of you are like, okay, that's cool, because you have been enabled by the Holy Spirit to look at your life and to say, I don't believe in Jesus like I should. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I also know that I don't love my brothers and sisters and I don't love my community like I should. Lord, help me do that. But I do see that God is helping me progress in those areas. That the more and more I get to know Jesus, the more and more I believe in him. The more and more I get to know Jesus, the more and more, not perfectly, more and more like I'm caring for other people around me. I'm, I'm being less selfish and more self-sacrificial. However, for some of you though, this isn't gonna work. And the reason why is because you're too smart. You're too self-aware. You look at your own heart and you know, I don't believe in Jesus like I should. And I care way too much for myself. How can I possibly have assurance of faith when I look at my own sinful heart? I just want to say right here now, there's a ton of Christianity on offer out there that will tell you, you can know you're a Christian by examining your own heart and your own actions. And some of you know, some of you are like, okay, yeah, I can. some of you know, though, that you just can't do that. You can't do that. The path, that path leads to despair. So what's the second way that you can know that you're a Christian? The answer is by the indwelling of the Spirit. Look down at verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. This is the second way he tells us in this text that we can know that we are connected to God by the Holy Spirit who abides in you. Okay. What does that mean, the Holy Spirit abiding in you? Well, it means God lives inside of you. Also, you live inside of God. That's what he says here at the beginning of verse 24, right? Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. It's relational language. It's relational language. You know somebody, you know somebody because you're connected to them in a relationship. Way. Think about your best friend. You know things about your best friend. You know exactly what their sense of humor is. You can feel, it, you can feel a joke coming on just by the way the conversation is going. You know exactly in the room who they like, who they don't like, who they're kind of iffy on, who they like but they're awkward around. You know all this stuff. You know stuff that they think about people at their job that nobody at their job has any clue. You know things about your best friend that no, that, that you know things about your best friend that you can only know by being their best friend. This is what it's talking about. 
You know things about God that you can only know, you Christians, by being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now think about what the Holy Spirit does in the Bible, in the book of Acts, in the Gospel of John, here in 1 John, the way John talks about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells us. That means you guys have had experiences of power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've had experiences of exaltation because you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You've read your Bible and had really, really important insights into the nature of God and man and reality that can only happen because you know the Holy Spirit. John in his gospel says that when, he, that when Jesus, Jesus says, when I send the Holy Spirit, he's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. You, who are Christians, know about your own sin. Why is that? The Holy Spirit. I mean, you don't just know about it in this sort of like, there's inconvenient things about me. You don't just know about it in the sense of like, there's stuff about me that I don't like and I know that other people don't like too. You know about it in the sense that like, there's stuff about me that's offensive to a holy God. Righteousness, you know what that is too. You know about Jesus. You know, you know God's plan to rescue the world. And for those of you who are Christians, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what you want. Right? You can only know that by having the Holy Spirit. So why, why do I bring this up? Is because some of you struggle with, am I a Christian or not? And if I say to you, point number one, do you believe in Jesus and do you love your brothers and sisters? You'll say, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I've had conversations exactly like this with a lot of you. I won't say a lot of you. I really don't know. I really don't know. And so then my next move from John here is number two. Do you have the Holy Spirit? And if you say, I really don't know, I'll say, well, look, do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead for you? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation? At the end of the day, do you have any other hope to know God except for Jesus? And when you say yes to me, I'm going to say, then you have the Holy Spirit. And that means that you're connected with God. That's how you know the love of God is because the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. Now, for those of you who struggle with this, you know that that doesn't work either. <laughs> for some of you, it does. And some of you, it's temporary. Some of you are like, okay. But then maybe a week, two weeks later, you're still struggling. And you might say to me again, but how do I know? Like, how do I know that's the Holy Spirit? How do I know I'm not just faking it? I mean, I, I know Tom Brady's stats from the back of his football card, but that doesn't mean I know Tom Brady. I know the words to can't get no satisfaction, but that doesn't mean I know Mick Jagger. Maybe I just know about sin in the Bible because people taught me, but it's really not mine. Here's the third move, okay? This is my last card I can play. And hopefully this works. Because if it doesn't work, then I commend you to God's grace and I'll continue praying for you. The last card is this, by allowing God to judge you and not yourself. Look back up at verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Look at verse 19 again. Here's how you're going to know the truth and reassure our heart before God. That word reassure there is too soft. It's not the right word. The Greek word that's behind there, 95% of the time it's used in the New Testament, is translated persuade. And it's the exact same word that's used, for instance, in the book of Acts, when Paul is preaching to a, you know, a proconsul, and it says Paul was trying to persuade him. It's like Paul is saying, 
Here, this is the truth. You have to believe this. You need to believe this. If you want God, you've got to believe this. If you want righteousness, you have to believe what I'm telling you. That's the word that's being used here. What's John saying here? He's not saying you need to reassure your heart. That's too gentle. He's saying you're going to have to convince your heart that this is true. You're going to have to persuade your heart. You're going to have to stand in front of your heart and say, you're wrong and this is right. What do I mean? Verse 21 presents a courtroom scene. The word condemnation in there is your tip-off. Okay, now think about this for a second. I'm going to give you a courtroom scene. Uh, this is a classic uh, justification courtroom scene in, scene in the Bible. God is sitting on the bench. He is the judge. You are standing before him, and you are about to be judged. Guilty or not guilty. You're about to be justified or condemned. Who is the prosecuting attorney that's standing next to you saying, this person has no right God, you must damn this person. Who's the prosecuting attorney? I know that we like to, we, we talk about being Satan. Sometimes I'm not saying that that's wrong. But who's the prosecuting attorney here in verse 22? I'm, I'm sorry, verse 20. Look who it is. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. You know who's standing next to you at the judgment seat arguing that you are guilty? It's actually your own heart. There's three characters here. There's God, the judge. There's you, the defendant and the prosecuting attorney, attorney, your own heart, is standing there telling God himself, this person has no right. Now, what do you do when you find yourself in that position? What do you do when your own heart has turned witness against you? The answer is right here. It's real easy. God is greater than your heart, and he knows everything. You have to tell your heart you don't know what you're talking about. God the judge says that you are not guilty. In your own heart, you know, not guilty. You walk out of the courtroom, a free person, and your own heart walks out with you. And you're having a conversation with the prosecuting attorney, attorney as you walk out of the courtroom. And the door shuts behind you, and you are a free person. And your heart says to you, you know what? I, I don't think that that was legit. I think there's probably some more evidence that he didn't understand. God doesn't really, he didn't really know. It, Come on back in with me. Let, let, let's get you thrown in prison. Come on, let's go. And you turn around and you start knocking on the door too. Hey, God, wait a second. No, no I, I really am guilty. Look, the prosecuting attorney has some more, more evidence. Don't do that. Don't do that. God is telling you, you are not guilty. You are completely innocent. Your conscience is not your friend. Your heart is not your friend. We fall into this trap because we believe that our heart is on our side. All the Disney movies tell us this. Your heart is not on your side. Your heart is your worst enemy. Deceptively wicked. Evil above all things, the prophet tells us. You have to tell your heart. You know the words of, you remember that quote from Luther? Where Luther tells the devil to get off? That, that, that quote can actually be properly applied to your heart. It's frequently not the devil that you're doing battle with. It's frequently your own heart that's condemning you. So when your heart throws your sins in your faces, I'm quoting Luther here, but I substituted your heart for the words of the devil. So when your heart throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know the one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. How can you know? How can you know? I don't know if you can or not. If you're looking at your own heart, a prosecuting attorney's never going to admit that he's been defeated. So if, if, if you're looking for no to your own heart, 
I can't help you. But if you turn and you look at the crucified Jesus and say, that's my appeal, that's my standard, that's my basis, you can know. And if you want concrete assurance? Okay, it's written right down here. This is God's word. I'm telling you that whenever your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. Think about your baptism. God combines his word with, it was God himself who said to baptize you. You realize that, right? Baptizing them in my name, do it in my stead. It's God himself who baptizes you. Look to that and say, like Satan, there's nothing you can do. God applied his word to me in water. You guys are gonna, most of you are gonna come to the rail here in a few minutes. It was God himself who said, it was God himself who said that as often as you eat and drink this this bread and this wine, you are proclaiming the gospel. Do you believe that the power of the gospel is powerful enough to save you? Or do you think that your own heart, do you think that the prosecuting attorney that you've hired against yourself is strong enough and smart enough and wily enough and infinitely knowledgeable enough to get you condemned in the face of a God who's determined to, to set you free? When you come up here to the rail, God himself is giving you himself. It is solid. It is set in stone. You can know it. These three things. Work through them one by one. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you love your neighbors? Good. You're a Christian. That's what that means. What if you're not very good at that? What if you're not sure if you really believe or really love your neighbors enough? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you, have the, do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that Jesus is the one true Son of God? who rose from the dead, died and rose from the dead for you. Good. What if you're not really sure that you really know and trust it? Well, then just tell yourself to shut up. Just tell your heart to go away. Because the God who loves you in Jesus Christ says that you are not guilty. Stand with me. Stand with me and let's pray, and then we'll have communion. Let's pray. God, we thank, you, uh, we thank you for this like really incredible text in 1 John 3, your love for us, the fact that you have both, that you've called us your children, that you've brought us into your family, that you've made us your own, and now that you're going to such great lengths to give us psychological and mental and emotional assurance that we are yours, and that whenever our heart condemns us, it doesn't matter because you call us your children. Help us to live in light of this. Lord, in your mercy. Uh, Father, we don't. We don't live in light of this. You know that we don't. We are, uh, not only do we not believe in you like we should, we don't fear, love, and trust you like we should. We don't serve and love our neighbors like we should. We don't trust your Holy Spirit's witness through your word and through our experience with your people enough like we should. Father, we listen way too often to our own hearts and not enough to your word of promise, the word of your gospel whether it's the word being read in your word or preached or the word in water form or the word in bread and wine form, we turn away from that and trust our own wicked and betraying heart. Father, forgive us for this. We, we want to fear, love, and trust you above all things. Give us that grace. Turn our eyes back onto you, Lord, in your mercy. Uh, Father, be with all of us who are struggling uh, this morning and uh, those of us who are struggling with Uh, physical health issues and with loneliness and with mental health issues and uh, financial needs, um, sins that we're struggling against, God, anger and bitterness, uh, lust that we just can't seem to shake, uh, passions and hatreds that we just can't seem to get turned around on. Especially, Father, I want to pray uh, this morning for uh, those of us who are struggling with assurance of faith, with 
wanting to know for certain that you are our God and that we are your children, but who turn too often to examine for evidence in our own feelings and in our own actions. Like God, give us hope and comfort. Turn our eyes again to the power of your resurrection, to the power of your son's death and his resurrection. Lord, in your mercy. We can only pray these things because you're the kind of God who wants a relationship with us. You're the kind of God who makes a relationship with us. You're the kind of God who sacrifices himself, who sacrifices his own life to establish this love, adoption relationship with us. And so we come into your throne room boldly or not so boldly. It doesn't matter. You're our Father and we're your children. And so we're in here to ask these requests of you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's pray in Jesus' name, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Please stand. And now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Look around, make a conversation with somebody, start to build a relationship. Go in peace.